If you have a Bible with you today, find the book of Romans. We're going to be in chapter number 8, Romans chapter 8. Uh, today is, is the fourth part out of a five-week series, and it, we may extend it. I'm not sure. I have more things to say, and I feel like God is putting more in my heart. But uh, this series has just been called When My World Falls Apart. Uh, it's a series on suffering. It's a series on tragedy. Um, it's a series on when difficult things in our lives come at different levels and different ways. Uh, and, and how do we respond? How are we going to respond when tragedy strikes? How are we going to respond when our world seems to fall apart? And the reason that we're talking about this is because as a pastor, what I consistently see and what we see again and again uh, is that there's oftentimes when people, when Christians, when their world falls apart, their faith in God falls apart with it. And there are empty seats in, in this place today that used to be filled, filled with people who were sincere in their faith, people who genuinely wanted to love God and all of that type of stuff. But when, when their world fell apart and when something happened in their life, their understanding of God fell apart with it. How could God allow this? How could, if God is good, how can this be a reality in my life? God must not be good. I don't want anything to do with him anymore. This is what we have seen again and again. What we have come to understand is that if we carry an incorrect, an inaccurate view of suffering biblically, uh, then we are setting ourselves up for failure when, when this stuff comes. And so our goal has just been to simply build a foundation in our lives, a biblical foundation, biblical understanding of suffering in this world as it relates to our relationship with God and the fact that we just live in a very broken place. And uh, so we've learned a few things. We've learned that suffering can actually be good if God is your goal. And for, for some of us, when we said that, it's like, how can suffering ever be good? But scripturally, we see that like, there are pieces of Jesus, uh, and that's a weird way to say it, but there are, there, there are parts of this that we really cannot truly understand without experiencing suffering. This is what the, the Apostle Paul talks about, and we talked about that. We also learned, and this is something that is said over and over in the Bible, that suffering strengthens our faith. It strengthens our faith. I was at a conference this week, and the speaker up front just said this. He said, a Christian who runs from crisis is like a bodybuilder who runs from weights. But a Christian who runs from crisis, the idea is crisis in our life as Christians is what builds us up spiritually, teaches us things, shows us things, strengthens our faith. A bodybuilder that runs away from Weight has no definition and is not a very good bodybuilder. Would you agree? Yes, okay. Uh, but last week then we attempted to change some of the language we use when we talk about suffering. We talked about how God is not the author of suffering. God has not created this stuff. Um, creation was perfect. There was no cancer. There was no suffering in God's perfect creation. Uh, no disaster, no pain, no sickness. Uh, but God's perfect creation was negatively impacted when people rebelled, when Adam and Eve fell. Uh, and, and naturally, when tragedy strikes, when this stuff occurs, we ask the questions, why? And, and yesterday, there was a massive funeral in the city of Glenwood for a police officer that was killed. And there were, there were uh, people, person after person there, and it was a huge thing. And there are a lot of people right now asking, why? Why? Why, God? This is, 
This is a good man. He's a husband and has kids. Why, God, would this happen? I do not understand it. God, what we're learning is that God isn't necessarily, he's not, he's not looking for us to ask why. God is looking for us to trust him in the midst of all of this type of stuff. All right. And so uh, this morning is really the second part of last week's message. And we're continuing in Romans chapter eight. So that's enough of an introduction. Please stand with me all over this place. And let's begin by reading a passage of scripture together. A lengthy part here, Romans 8, uh, and we're going to start with verse number 28, and we're going all the way to 39, so that's like more than 10. (laughs) So here we go. Let's read this together. It says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Though he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, Who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? I just said sword. As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Let's pray and go home. That was something good. God, we just come to you and open our hearts and open our lives to what you would say. Teach us, show us things. God, I don't, God we don't want this to be about any one person standing on a stage, but we truly desire to hear from you, to know you, to, um, to experience you even in the midst of our crisis and suffering. And so, Lord, we call on you today and open ourselves up to what you would say. And it's in the beautiful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, give somebody a high five and have a seat. Wow, rowdy bunch. Well, that's good. That's good. Uh, If you were here last week, or if you watched uh, online, you heard, you heard us talk about a friend of mine named Darth. Go ahead and put that picture on the screen for me. Uh, Darth suffered horrendously as a child. He lived through a genocide in Cambodia that ended up with a third of the population. 2.5 million people in Cambodia died from 1975 to 1979. Uh, Darth was in child labor camps 
watched children next to him die. He was beaten again and again. He survived by eating bugs and roots and whatever he could find. And many of the details in his story are simply too gruesome to even say out loud, if we could just be honest about it. But last week, we talked about the fact that like God was not the author of the genocide that happened in Cambodia. That's not how this works. Uh, it, God did not have a purpose in that. Sometimes we like to say that. We like to say, what, what is God's purpose in this suffering? Sometimes there, there is, it doesn't work like that. Sometimes it's not about God having a purpose, which, which apply, implies to us that God is causing this to happen. Sometimes it's just the fact that we live in a very broken world. And there are people who have made choices and are choosing evil all the time. And two and a half million people in, in, in Cambodia and six million people in the Holocaust were murdered because of the choices of very, very evil men. And so for us to say, why God? Sometimes there's not a real answer here. But here's what we do know and what we're going to see again and again, that even though God doesn't author suffering in, in, in the way that we're talking about in these types of things, we do see God using this stuff for incredible things. Darth's story now, after horrendous suffering as a child, is that because of all the junk that he went through as a kid, he now has like this incredible green light to work on God's behalf in, in the country of Cambodia, a nasty, messy Buddhist world. And he has now set up and has incredible schools for Buddhist kids where he is allowed to feed them and teach them about Jesus. And it's this beautiful thing that is happening. His suffering has turned around and God has used it for incredible things. You understand? God did not author the junk he went through. That's not how it works. God used it in an incredible, in an incredible ways. We see this also in the Bible, we see this in a story of the man named Joseph way at the beginning of the Bible. Uh, his story, the second half of the book of Genesis, you've probably heard this story before. It's been made into movies and different things. But as a 17-year-old kid, Joseph has a dream, supernatural dream from God that one day he would rule over uh, a whole bunch of people and that God would do that. Uh, these dreams, though, would lead to an immense amount of suffering in his life. Over the next 20 years, he would be sold into slavery by his brothers, shipped off 500 some miles away to Egypt. He would be falsely accused of raping uh, a woman. Joseph ran away from her as she tried to seduce him, the, the Bible says, and she gets angry because she's like been turned down by this guy. And she then cries out, cries rape, and Joseph is gonna next, spend the next number of years of his life in prison for something that he did not do. Okay, he didn't do anything wrong, and, and it looked like he was forgotten. He's in a dungeon in Egypt, but God supernaturally uses his suffering in 20 years, put into two minutes. God, like Joseph ends up second in command in all of Egypt, saves the lives of many people, including his family. And Joseph says these words at the end of his story to his brothers, the ones that threw him in a pit and sold him lied to dad saying that an animal killed him. Uh, he says this to them. He says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. Intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, this saving of many lives. 
We see this again and again in the scripture, and I want to show you this, Romans chapter 8. And we're going to start right away with verse 28. In fact, almost all of our time is going to be on that verse, even though much of what we read is so beautiful and so powerful. Romans, Romans 8 is a significant chapter in the Bible when we look at the topic of suffering and, and, and so many other things as well. But Romans 8:28 is really our focus today. Let me read this to you again. We know that in all things... God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. This is a famous verse in the Bible. You maybe have heard somebody quote it. It's often misquoted. It's often misunderstood, uh, taken out of context and, and put in ways and said in ways that it does not, it should not be in. And we're going to talk this out a little bit because I want you to understand what exactly Paul, who is writing Romans here, what Paul is saying in this verse right here, Romans 8, 28. So we're going to pick this apart, examine each little part of it, asking questions along the way. So here's the first question. If you're taking notes, I would write a little question, and then we're going to kind of flesh this out. First question is, what is all things? What is all things? What does that mean? In all things, God works for the good of those who love him. What is all things? The easy answer is just to say all things equals everything. And you would be right in, if you answered it in that way. But I want to take this a step farther, and I want us to kind of break this out. And, and I want to show you three things that are included when we say all things. All things is everything, but let's, let's talk about this quickly. All right? So understand we live in a broken world, a world broken by sin, where, where, where bad and evil seems to rule often in different ways, in different places. We talk about 30 for freedom. Uh, we were in the middle of sex trafficking, the sex trafficking world when we were in Nepal. And we got to see firsthand actually how some things had been turned around as we were in this little village where 300 girls had been taken. We were hearing a, we were hearing a young woman talk about her three older sisters who are gone. And we were right there, but we saw good happening and incredible things that are happening. We live in a world that is a mess, but there is good in this world as well. And there is beauty, and we often stand in the awe of the incredible things that we, uh, like, that, that God has done, okay? So, um, I think we often have a messed up view of the good in the world. We view the world through the lens of the world should be good, but it's not which leads us to a lack of gratitude for good. And the first thing I want to say as we're asking the question, what is all things, is I want to say all things includes good things. It includes incredible things. It includes God things. It includes, like, we find God working out beneficially in our lives the good in, that we have and that we experience, all right? Uh, James chapter 1 tells us that every good and perfect gift is from above. God uses the good in our life, okay, to do incredible things. And we're going to talk about this a little different. Number two, God uses not only the good, but he uses the bad. You knew that was coming. We thought that's the obvious one here. The bad things. And in the verses leading up to uh, verse 28, Paul has been talking about suffering in this world. We can rightly assume that suffering is a very big part of why he writes Romans 8, 28, 
the suffering in this world. We could change the phrase all things even to just be more specific. We could just say God will work all suffering for good. And then we would have to finish the verse, but we could say it that way. Now, don't misunderstand what Paul is saying here. He's not saying that the suffering is good. It's not death, cancer, abuse, illness, whatever else. Like those things are not good. Those things, like you, you understand that. The promise is that in all, the, all things and in those things, God is working. God is not the author of suffering and all of that stuff, but he promises to use it for good. One scholar wrote it this way, difficulties are not good, but their results can be. We know that. Okay, God promises to work in our sufferings. That's the bad things. The third thing that, that I'm going to put into all things here, and I think some of us, someone needs to hear this today, all things also includes your sin. Think about that for a moment. Your failures, the ways that you have not measured up, the things in your life that you did that you're ashamed of, all things right here includes that. We could even say God will work sin for good. Sin is in all things. Obviously, sin is not God's will, but we see God using sin to accomplish things at times. Not that sin was the will, understand that, but out of that, God uses that in different ways. All things, the good, the bad, and even our sin. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who loved him, who have been called according to his purpose. Question number two, what is the good? What is the good? Let's talk this out a little bit. God works good things, bad things, and even our own sin for the good. And the answer to that question is found in what Paul writes next, verse number 29. It says, For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. And when I read, when I read this this. This scripture, and I begin to read commentaries about people, people a whole lot smarter than me who are writing what, you know, taking the Greek language and all the stuff, and, and every single one of them, 100% of them, said that the good here is us becoming like Christ. That's what this verse is about. That's the purpose of this entire thing, okay? The word conformed here is very simply to, to be like. The idea, God works all things, the good, the bad, the sin, God works that stuff out to make us more like Jesus. In, in a churchy way to say it, the good, the bad, God is working that out for our sanctification. There you go, write that word down. You can Google it later. Our, our sanctification. But sanctification is the biblical word for becoming more and more like Jesus. I don't know if you understand this, but the goal of a Christian is not just to get to heaven. That's a pretty sweet bonus, and that's important. And we love that, and we rejoice in that. But if that's, if that's where things stop, we are missing so much of what this is. The goal of Christianity is for us to become like Christ. And then, we, and then we become the hands and the feet of Jesus and we see that spread out and we begin to now impact the evil and, and all of that in our world. But it's becoming like Jesus. That's sanctification. And here's why this matters. Romans 8, 28 is not saying this. God will use suffering and sin to make your physical life here on earth better. Now, 
you, you, could, you could make that argument some other places in the Bible, and I'm not even here to, but I'm just saying that's not Romans 8.28. That's not what this is. That's an incorrect way to read this. Like, uh, God is not working in all things so that you can have more money. He's not, he's not, the promise is not that he will use your suffering to give you nicer things. That's not the good here in Romans 8.28. In fact, Paul is writing this to people who have suffered in this world because of their faith in Christ in immense ways. They are facing persecution. Some are going to die for their faith. In, in Rome, we hear, we, we're going to hear about this. Let's not Americanize this and make Romans 8.28 about physical health and wealth because that's not what this is. It's not what Romans 8.28 is. This is about us becoming more and more like Jesus, is what this is. The promise is that in all things, the good, the bad, the ugly, your sin, God will use that to make you more and more like Christ. Spiritual growth and becoming more and more like Christ. One scholar wrote, and I was reading it, God uses this stuff to remake us from the inside out, to remake us. Third part of this verse, though, and let's, not make, let's make sure we don't skip this. We know that in all things, God works for the good for those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And the truth of this verse is that this is not a universal promise. This is not a promise for every person who is on earth that God is going to use their suffering to make them more and more like Christ. And it can be easily overlooked that the fact that this promise is made to those who love him and have been called. Now let's talk this out a little bit. Those who love him, scripturally reading through this stuff, means the people who have made a commitment to live for God. Now not just an emotional love, we hear the word love and we think it's a feeling and we think all of that stuff in our culture, but that's not what this is. Love is setting our hearts on God so that in all that we do, we determine and are determined to please him. And here's why this is such a big deal when we talk about suffering and sin, is it's, it's when we love God and we are determined that our lives uh, are to please him, there is a commitment that comes where we now understand that we are going to endure difficulty for that. Jesus promises persecution for those who love him in different ways at different times for that, okay? Uh, and and we, when we determine to please him, we understand that we will endure difficulty. That's a part of some of this. But if we are using God for what he gives us, if we are using God in that stuff, then we bail out when suffering comes. Now that makes sense, right? If God, if God for you is all about what he can give you, and all of a sudden your life is falling apart, then you're saying, God, this ain't working. You understand? And we bail. If God is nothing but a genie that you rub the lamp and say, God, help this and do this and give this, then when suffering comes, God doesn't fit in that box anymore. And this is where we see again and again people losing their faith and it falls through the cracks when their world falls apart. He also says, for those who have been called according to his purpose. We sometimes use the word called in weird ways in the church, and we kind of mess that word up a little bit. This is not, a special, this is not like special Christians that uh, God has called. 
in, their, in this situation. Like this is simply those who are in relationship with him. The scripture uses that word to just be like, God has called us and we have answered that and we are in that, in that way, okay? But just understand, God does not promise to use the sin and the suffering and the good of all people for good. The promise is for followers of Christ. Okay, so we know that in all things, the good, the bad, the ugly, the sin, God works for the good. He works to conform us into the likeness of Jesus and those who love him and are in relationship with him. But here's what I want to add to that, because I don't think this always happens. I think that how we respond to this situation has everything to do with this right here being accomplished in our lives. And I think you would agree with me that there are Christians who suffer who it does not feel like this is happening. And so three things, just kind of like our part in the process of inviting this to happen, okay? Uh, God will work for the good if, and I'm gonna talk about the good, the bad, and our sin. Uh, number one, if we respond to the good in our life with humble gratitude, okay? If you begin to respond to the good in your life, the, even the things that you have, and the, and the life that you have been given, and the blessings you have, if you begin to respond in humble gratitude for the things that you have, you will begin to watch God use those things, the good things, to make you more and more like him. Likewise, if you respond to all the good that you have by saying, I worked hard for this, I deserve this, Look what I have built. God ain't using that to make you more and more like Jesus. Do you understand? It comes through a humble gratitude for what God has done and what God has given you. And when we begin to do that, see, success often leads to pride. Financial security often leads to a lack of desperation for God. Uh, the better things go in life, it can seem like the less we need God. And I have lots of friends who are making lots of money. And at this stage of their life, they have no need for God. And that's the attitude that they live. Why do I need God when I have everything that I need? I'm telling you, if we can learn to respond to the good in our lives with humble gratitude, we will watch God take the good and use it to make us more and more like Jesus, which is what this is about. Second, God will work for the good if we respond to the bad with humble dependence. Humble dependence. God will work the suffering in our lives to make us more and more like Christ when we respond to the suffering in our lives in the right way. It doesn't mean that we can't be angry at times. It doesn't mean we, we can't question God. Like this is just natural and going to happen. But there has to come to a point where we humbly say, God, I need you. God, I can't do this on my own. God, use this for your glory. I lay down my life and my dreams and my pain at your feet. God, whatever I face in this world, I face knowing that you are right there by me. We, we humbly respond to God with this dependence and saying, God, I need you. Whatever pain, whatever circumstance, okay? And we begin, and, and, and God then, when we respond in humble de dependence, God can begin to use our suffering for, to make us more and more like Christ. 
We're honest about our feelings. We're honest about that. We don't pretend that everything is okay, but we focus on God and humbly put our trust in him. Lamentations chapter 3, one of my favorite uh, sections of scripture. Let me read this to you, verse 18. The author says, So I say, my splendor is gone, and all that I had hoped from the Lord. I remember my affliction and my wandering the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them and my soul is downcast within me. We have someone here writing and expressing honestly and openly the junk and the stuff that they are facing and feeling in their life. And then we get to verse number 21. Yet this I call to mind and therefore I have hope because of the Lord's great love we are not consumed for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait on him. He is that and I am this. And we humbly declare that stuff. We respond to the good with humble gratitude. We respond to the bad with humble dependence. And number three, and we don't do this very well, as well as we need to, we respond to our sin with humble repentance with humble repentance. The Bible says like so clearly that all of us have sinned, every one. There's no one righteous, not even one. And as Christians, like we understand the power of putting our faith in Jesus and all of that type of stuff and forgiven and made righteous and all that. But we we also understand that that does not mean that we will no longer sin. And some of us, all of us, even, if, even when we receive the beautiful grace of God, there are moments again and again where we fall and we fail and our minds think things that they shouldn't think and our mouths say things that they shouldn't say and our actions are not holy and good. Raise your hand if you're perfect, okay? You're not, none of us are perfect, you, except Larry, okay? But his wife's putting his hand down right now saying, he's a liar right now, he's not perfect. No, I'm just kidding. Love you guys. <laughs> but, we, but we understand we fail and we fall and we sin and we have stuff, okay, all the time. And we, and we, and we respond in those moments with, with humble repentance. Repentance is, uh, in the Greek form of this word, just simply means to turn, to turn. And what it means is like you're going one direction and now you humbly say, God, I cannot believe I did that and I I need your grace again and again and again. I have failed and I humbly need you. And then we turn and we go the other direction. We don't continue in that. It's not repentance if we continue, keep on doing that junk and keep on that way, okay? Repentance is turning the other way in a humble way, saying, God, I need you. And when we respond by humbly confessing, humbly repenting in that way, we, be, we begin to see God use our sin actually to make us more and more like Christ. I do not believe that we need to confess our sins to a priest. I don't see that. I, I don't believe um, confession like that I don't believe it's even a biblical sacrament. I don't see it in the scripture at all, but I do have respect for that process. 
as, as it was set up to get people to humbly admit that they are sinful. And in our version of the church, I don't think we, it's an area where we probably are not doing things the way that we should in some ways. The book of James says, confess your sins one to another. And so people should be involved in some of the sin in your life in, in that way. It's a part of this, all of this type of stuff. And so I'm not recommending you go to confession, but I am recommending that at times you humbly repent of your sin and even involve people around you and watch as God uses that for his glory to make you more and more like Jesus. Psalm, Psalm 51, famous psalm where King, J, King David responds to God after he sinned in a horrible way. He writes this, he writes, Have mercy on me, O God. According to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Verse 10, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. It's this beautiful, humble repentance and confession to a God, and God uses that to make us more and more like Jesus. Music team, will you please come? I feel like I went super fast through that, and I, so I want to say this, I just want to say this again, humble gratitude for the things that we have and the good in our lives. Humble gratitude. Humble dependence in the crisis, in the tragedy, in the suffering, in the difficulties. We humbly depend on God and call out to him in the midst of that. And humble repentance. The common word here that we're using is humble. Humble. God works, God grows, God moves, God changes, God challenges through our humility. God can't work in pride in fact, study the word pride in the Bible and you will see things like God detests it. God turns his back on it. God flees. God runs away from pride. Pride is saying, I got this. I can do all this. I don't need that. I'm good enough. All of these types of humility says I am nothing without God, my creator. I have nothing that wasn't given to me by him and I desperately need him to move in my suffering and in my sin we humbly go to God please stand with me all over this place as I was putting this together this week and just prayerfully going through some of this stuff picture that kind of came to my mind was a number of people in this place who are going to grasp one of those, a number a different one and a number of the other one. And I just want to allow God to kind of work in your situation and where you're at. For some of us in this place, you need to rethink about some of the things that you have. And I know you've worked hard. And I know some of, us, some of us have made something out of nothing. And your life was whatever and you worked your tail off and you did all sorts of things and now you got something. 
God so clearly in the scripture, so clearly. Everything we have is from him in some way or another. We work hard, we do all of that stuff, but the blessings that you have and the good that's in your life is straight from the hand of God. And if you begin to humbly live your life with gratitude, you will watch him use the blessings in your life to make you more and more like Jesus. Some of us in this place, and this has been the theme of our series, is in the midst of our suffering, God works this for good. God does incredible things. God grows our faith. God does all of those things if we humbly respond to him in the midst of our suffering. In the midst of your trials and your crisis and all of that stuff, if you begin to humbly say, God, I desperately need you. Use this, God. Change me. Do your thing. And we humbly begin to say, God, I need that. You will watch as he will turn this and make you more and more like Jesus through the, through the junk that you face. And for some of us in this place, you, you are face to face today with the fact that you are a sinner. You know it. You feel it. Deep down, understand there is incredible freedom in God. God takes those who are not righteous and makes them righteous because of what God has done through Jesus on the cross. But we humbly repent of our sins and we watch God use our sin to make us more and more like Christ. Maybe you're here today and you have never truly responded to the message of Jesus, a message that you are a sinner, that we are all sinners, and that God in his great love sent Jesus to die so that you could be forgiven and made right with God. The Bible says, like, if you will put your trust in him, if you put your faith in what Jesus did, commit your life to that, then you can be saved. That's the words the scripture uses. It just means you will be forgiven and free, and you will be made right in the eyes of God. And with no one looking around, just for a moment of privacy and reflection, if you're here in this place, then you would say, I have never truly responded to the message of Jesus, and I want to do that today. I'm not asking you if you've been baptized or confirmed or if you go to church or give money and offerings. Like that, That's not what this is. It's a heart thing between you and God. Have you ever truly, like deep down in your heart, responded to the message of Jesus and received the gift of grace that he has offered? And if you're here today and you have never done that, and you want to do that today, just show me your hand. I just want to pray for you. Anyone in this place, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. You can put your hands down. If you're watching behind a screen right now, you can respond to this as well. It's a hard thing between you and God. Anyone else? Could at least three people that raised their hand today. Anyone else, just a moment longer? All right, church, let's just pray together. It's not magic words, it doesn't work like that, but let's just pray together from our hearts. Pray, Father God, I give you my life. Thank you for sending Jesus to die for me. Forgive me of my sins and change my life. In your name I pray. Amen, amen. Come on, can you put your hands together for that?